Are you looking for spiritual and emotional support in your fertility journey? Then today's guest is going to be one that you want to listen to. Rachel Van Tyne is a rabbi, board-certified chaplain, and chaplain educator who provides emotional and spiritual support to individuals and couples on their fertility journeys, including those utilizing IVF, IUI, or surrogacy. She went through her own experience with IVF during the worst surges of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City while serving as a frontline hospital worker. I'm really excited for you to hear her story today and learn about the important work she's doing to support you in your spiritual and emotional journey on your fertility. So take a listen. You're listening to the Life Beyond Infertility podcast with Charlie Dice. The show that teaches you how to get unstuck from the grief and loss of infertility so that you can accept and embrace a joyful life beyond it. Welcome back to another episode of the Life Beyond Infertility podcast. I have a special guest today, Rachel Van Tyne. Her and I met through Instagram, and she is the creator of the website, RVTIFV for IVF. She's also a rabbi and a board certified chaplain, as well as a spiritual director, uh, supporting you in your emotional and spiritual journey in IVF, IUI, uh, or surrogacy. So I'm really excited to have Rachel on the podcast today and offer a perspective that I think is oftentimes overlooked, but very much needed in the fertility and fertility space. So welcome, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me, Charlie. Just one thing, the website is RVTIVF. Oh, thank you for (laughs) correcting me. And we'll put it in the show notes so that it's definitely correct for people that reach out to you. Apologize (laughs) for that. No, no, it's okay. It's easy to, you know, it's it's a lot of initials. That's okay. Yeah. So thank you for being here. And kind of to start off with, you know, let's give the listeners a little bit about your backstory and kind of how you got to, you know, be where you're at today with everything. Sure. So I am talking with you tonight from Brooklyn, New York. I work at a major hospital in the, in New York City as a chaplain, but primarily as a chaplain educator. So I'm training future professional chaplains and just a word out there that chaplains are trained to meet the emotional and spiritual needs of anybody and everybody, regardless of what their spiritual orienting system or faith tradition looks like, including folks who do not consider themselves spiritual or religious in any way. I love that work, and I feel very called to providing care, competent and compassionate care to folks um, in the hospital and helping teach other folks how to do that well, and for me to continue to learn how to do that better. Um, I've been there for about seven years, and it was a hospital system that uh, was severely hit with the worst surges of the pandemic. It was just a really terrifying, terrifying experience um, that we don't need to go into here. But what the way that it connects for my story is that I was working on the front lines at this hospital while I was going through IVF treatment in order to become pregnant. And it was just a really isolating and difficult, you know, trying to provide care to folks who were caring for very sick people and also worried about they themselves getting sick as well while in the midst of caring for people who were really sick. 
and also on my own journey, right before I'd go to the hospital, you know, I'd get to the clinic and go through daily monitoring or um, be doing injections or whatever it is that I needed to do for the day. And, and it was just a really isolating time. I didn't feel like there were a lot of people that I could talk to about what I was going through because understandably, everybody was very um, concerned and focused on this very scary virus. And I am somebody who has worked with a therapist for a really long time. I really stand by that modality. It's been very helpful to me. But I found that there were things that I needed spiritually and ritually and even emotionally that I just didn't have. And so I am somebody who's very lucky to be surrounded by and have access to a lot of people in that world, people who are um, not just clergy, but trained in um, responding to spiritual and religious needs. And so I kind of created a lot of the things that I needed to help me on my journey, kind of as as it was happening. And, and I can talk a little bit about what that looked like if you want. Um, after, after the surges, and I was lucky enough to become pregnant through IVF, I started talking a lot more about what I had been going through. And found that a lot of colleagues and friends started reaching out to me for support, saying, you know, I, I know that you went through this. I don't know anyone who's going through IVF and I have all these questions. Can, can we talk? Can we meet? Can you help me think about marking time? Can we prepare a ritual? Can you pray for me? Um, just all sorts of things. And it just kind of organically grew from there. And I feel really privileged to that people felt safe and comfortable enough to approach me with those concerns. And from there, I eventually built a, a more formalized private practice for myself of providing this type of care to individuals and to couples, and not just for folks utilizing IVF, but really any assisted reproductive technology or including surrogacy, adoption, just anywhere on that spectrum, because I think there's a lot of everyone's story is so different. But I think there's a lot of shared common themes in these journeys. And I am specifically trained, you know, as a rabbi and as a chaplain and as someone who can, again, connect with people of all different kinds of backgrounds in order to help people use really their own wisdom to make sense of their situation and to hold space to process what they're feeling. It's a big part of what I do as a chaplain anyway, and so it just sort of naturally extends itself into this particular community. And I feel really called, I think, just as a human being to pursue justice and to give back to the world. And this is kind of the next extension of that work. Yeah, no, i Thank you for sharing that backstory. It really gives perspective to kind of where you're at now and, and how you got there. And I know that when you and I talked previously before this, we really touched on that spiritual piece of things. And for you personally, when you were going through your infertility IVF journey in the hospital, you know, while COVID was still maybe not at its peak, but still during different surges, from a spiritual standpoint, what really helped you to kind of process what was happening both within your body and within the world at that time? Thanks for that question. I think for me, for me, there's a lot of things that that fall under that bucket of spiritually and spirituality, you know, wrestling with 
bigger questions about why why I was going through this journey, what how could I make sense of it? How could I use the wisdom of my Judaism to help me try to make sense of what I was experiencing, holding space for my feelings about God, uh, my own um, anger and grief and fear. There's so much uncertainty in this process, as as we talked about before. Sometimes it really was through holding space for my hopes. Uh, and there's so much power in just naming something out loud and having somebody witness that. So that that's not always through something formalized, like through prayer or a blessing, but it could be. But sometimes for me, it was also about marking time, setting aside just small rituals, small ways that I could acknowledge milestones, even though like less happy milestones, just the, just those moments to help me feel oriented in time and space to feel a little less lost and more ground, especially because I just felt kind of alone in that. It's so striking to me that there are so very many people struggling in this journey, and yet we know that so many people feel isolated in their experiences. Uh, so part of it for me spiritually was also just trying to talk about it more and try to normalize this is a thing that I'm going through. And I think trying to help I don't know if this is spiritual or not, but maybe for the spiritual health of a community, if if you might allow that framing, just gently reminding people that, you know, when somebody announces to, you know, to a staff, hey, I'm pregnant or something, that it actually could be really painful for other people in the room whose stories you don't necessarily know. I I had that experience and just gently tried to shift the culture of saying, you know, Hey, this is something I'm going through. And, um, you know, it wasn't about sharing it with everybody, but about trying to carve out a little bit more space for that story. I think for me, story is very spiritual and again, very connected to what I do as a clergy person and as a chaplain is just helping people tell their stories, maybe reauthorizing their story in a way, but finding different ways to, yeah, just hear their own story. People are, so have so much wisdom within themselves and sometimes you just need a space to draw that out yeah and i'm sorry that you had to go through that with our culture still being what it is around this topic and around this community and i think it's going to be you know at least for your generation and mine just a lifelong awareness bringing to that and hopefully by the time our time is done here we will have made a little a little impact with that so i i validate the work that you're doing and i'm glad that you said about you know holding space for people because i think a lot of us feel like there is no space for us within this community even though we share that common thread uh, a lot of us are still, I don't want to say bullied into silence, but it seems like our voices get drowned out by, you know, those miracle stories, so to speak, that you see throughout the news. And talking about just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should. And how do you and your position as a rabbi and as a chaplain, people that come to you and say, well, I saw this 
you know, let's take that People Magazine article, for example, that came out recently. You know, I saw this 70-year-old Uganda woman, you know, she she was able to conceive and have a child or twins, actually, I think it was. And, you know, so I just want to keep the faith and keep going and keep pursuing this, you know, because I think that that could be me. Is Are there things that you talk through with them or things that you maybe reframe for them or questions that you ask to kind of arrive at, is that really what they want? If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think overall is something that guides me in my practice is really trusting people to know themselves best and to know, again, not just their inner wisdom, but to know inside of themselves their own hopes and fears and wishes. So if somebody comes to me and, and, and this, whether we're in the world of fertility or the world of health and illness in general, people do come to me and ask direct questions, you know, Rabbi, should I do this? Or chaplain, should I not do that? I don't feel like I am a spiritual leader that has all the answers and that needs to say, like, yes, you should or no, you shouldn't. Uh, but like you were pointing to, how can I help whoever's in front of me get to the feelings and the thoughts, worries that are underneath their questions? If ultimately, you know, in, in the example you gave that somebody decides they want to keep pursuing that path, then that's great. I'm, I'm happy to affirm that with them. And maybe we explore sources of resilience for them and coping mechanisms or things that they can do to sustain themselves, you know, thinking through their, their resources and who's in their corner. But I think very often a lot of our questions come from a place of rooted in feelings. So helping, you know, really just draw out what a person might be thinking and feeling. And again, very often we don't have, like you were saying, people don't always have a space where they can truly say what's on their mind, or if they do, they may feel silenced in some ways. And the benefit of someone like me is that I'm not connected to your family, right? I'm not connected to your community. I don't have a particular position to take, but more to be a non-anxious presence and witness to whatever's unfolding in the here and now of that particular moment. And it may change over time. Uh, so I think that's how I might address like that particular situation, but I think also speaks to the to just my practice in general. It's really about, I think, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's about meeting people where they are and really listening, deep listening of where a person's heart is. And those kind of, I think it's a very sacred opportunity to sit with someone in that discernment and in that unfold, even if they never say those words or those thoughts aloud to anyone else ever. Yeah. And I feel that we as coaches or spiritual advisor, you know, whatever label you want to put on it, we obviously have a different role to play than somebody's, you know, medical professional or even a therapist. You know, we are not here to tell you to do one thing or another, like you said, but more to ask the questions, keep asking the questions, and then let the person find their own way forward for whatever looks, whatever that looks like for them and their situation. When you and I talked before, 
I don't have any children, you were able to successfully have a child through IVF. And we talked a little bit about, even though our situations are different, you were feeling a little bit of that kind of secondary infertility grief around the the birth of your son and around, you know, the the community where then it becomes like, well, when are you going to have the next child? Or when all those questions that start popping up after that first one is is Earthside. And do you feel in a place now where you're at peace with that or you have done the work to be content and fulfilled with the family unit that you have. I just want to sit for a minute. You just shared a lot in there. Um, I want to affirm what you said too about like staying in our lane, right? This comes up in the hospital all the time. I'm very clear about the boundaries of what I'm able to do and what medical professional is able to do. And this this private practice work is no different, right? I, I cannot give medical advice because that's just not my area of expertise. But I can help someone strategize for better appointments with their clinicians. I can help someone think through what some of their questions might be to be able to make the best use of those visits. So that that's just something that was coming up as you were talking. Yeah, actually, as you're talking, it's really bringing back a lot for me. I just, I think there's so much about just the fertility process and the pregnancy process and so it's part of process as I am not the first person to discover that there was so much that I didn't know that I really wish I knew in advance, which is a part of the educational work I try to do now is try to help people, either either people who are thinking about going through this kind of treatment or for people who know someone else or supporting someone else going through this. Like, not necessarily everything to expect, but just pieces that I've learned along the way or that I've gained from witnessing other people's stories. Uh, and you were talking about the pressures that arise that once you've, you know, successfully brought a, a child earthside, I really love that expression and that language that really resonates for me, that there is this it's like relentless, right? Like that even even if those questions are not asked aloud, like you can feel and hear the frequency of those questions of will you have another child? Is that, you know, are you going to do IVF again or or what? And I think for me, one of those salient points is letting people know like just because someone has success in that particular way one time doesn't mean it would happen again. And it doesn't negate all of the pain that existed before it or that could exist even at the same time as you're, you know, becoming a parent. I just, I think it, it makes me really sad at times to witness the ways that people think about it as, oh, well, you know, you have a child. So great. Like it's like the, the, that whole other part of your story and your life just disappears. Or it's like somehow fades into the background and it's it's still a part of the journey that I myself and my husband and I went on in order to bring a child into the world. It is part of our story that doesn't go away, even if in the here and now we're in a, a different phase of that. Um, I also had a traumatic 
life-threatening experience a few days after I gave birth, which is also like another part of my story that I've had some time to process. And again, I'm in lots of supportive therapeutic relationships in order to do that work. But it's in a similar vein that somehow that piece gets erased. Yeah, I think that's the best way I know how to answer that question right now. I love that framework. And I really appreciate you bringing up the topic of what I wish I knew now that I didn't know then, because a lot of us, I think, are never really prepared as adolescents and even young adults to deal from a mental, emotional, and spiritual level for some of the things that we are faced with, whether that's through fertility or not. And, you know, you and I had talked before about this as far as what would we tell people now looking back on our journeys, specifically with fertility treatment that we would want to have known when we were first starting it? Two things. I, I think the first is to for me to to share that it's a really hard process. The One of the best things you can do to prepare yourself is to find your sources of support ahead of time, right? Seek out whatever kind of modality or, you know, relationships would be meaningful and helpful to you. But rather than trying to kind of work your way out of it, once you're in it. But, you know, and again, that that could be all sorts of things, right? It could be a, um, or just some type of artistic expression or therapy or talking to friends or finding people who maybe have been through this experience who, you know, are in a space where they can support you or again, finding people like you and I that do this work professional that even if you're not sure how long you'll be on that journey, just to know that, to kind of like, it's like, I, I don't know why this image is coming to mind, but it's like packing your suitcase for the journey. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I'm somebody who had a lot of those things and I'm really blessed with a lot of richness of resources of people and sources of wisdom and support. And yet I still found that there were things that I really needed. And sometimes I, I acknowledge that we may not know exactly what we need before we go on that trip, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I won't mess up the metaphor anymore. But that's kind of the image that's coming to mind. And to just know that there are people out there that that have been through it and that are so and passionate about supporting you on that journey, right? You and I are so called to this work because we want to make the road a little bit easier for the next person who comes along. And that fuels so much of what we do and why we do it. And I feel just so just called to do that right now. I think the other piece that I wish I had really understood, and I just, again, I didn't know the science. I didn't, there's just a lot that even reading about it, I, I, I didn't feel it in the same way. And that's the amount of time that journey can be. Just the, I mean, and, and you know this from your own experiences too, right? Months and years and multiple years. And a lot of that time spent waiting, waiting until you can try another cycle until you have saved up enough money to try the next treatment. I mean, there's so many countless examples, but I really do not think that I was, I, that I just didn't have any, any idea 
of how long the journey would take. I wish I had, I wish I had known that. I'm not even sure necessarily. Yeah. And I know we're, oh, I was nope, just going to say, ahead. I'm not even sure if that would have necessarily changed our timeline or anything like that. But I think there's something about having that knowledge that might have been helpful to me as I was packing my suitcase. Uh, and I, I know that we're doing this via audio. And so the listeners, you can't see us, but I'm nodding my head to everything that Rachel's saying because it's very true. And I think for me too, you know, I would just add to that conversation that the financial burden of it. And I know that that comes to mind maybe a lot initially, but I think that a lot of it gets lost in we think of it just as in the treatment costs. But if you do end up having to go down a more non-traditional path of even surrogacy or adoption or fostering, you know, you and I had talked about this before, all of the legal fees and all the ramifications of that journey can add exponentially onto the cost of things. And how do you grapple with maybe spending your life savings on that or you know, it's I, so I'm trying to use or I'm trying to think of your analogy of the suitcase because I really love that and that really resonates what would I pack in that suitcase for that financial piece because I think at least it, it was my experience that there weren't a lot of tools and there weren't a lot of resources that I could have packed to prepare us for that or support us as our family unit if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm for those of you, since you can't see, I'm nodding along too a lot as you're talking, Charlie. And I love this question. I think for me, some of it is just finding out as much as you possibly can in terms of the options or not options. I think like I was not super clear on what my health insurance policy actually covered and how much. And how much that actually was not going to cover, right? I, I just, even though the yeah. clinic shares, okay, so here are the costs relatively, right? Here are the costs of doing one retrieval. And if you get embryos that can be tested, those costs, sure. But I didn't, you know, I didn't do enough of my own homework and understand what does my healthcare plan really cover and what is that really going to cover? And maybe that's sort of an obvious thing that people would do. But I again, I... I think it sounds obvious, but yet I feel like in the moment, that's really the last of our concerns for whatever reason. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, right? Because it's like, okay, I'm committing to this journey for this moment in time, and it's when it costs what it costs. And if that's my life savings, then it's my life savings. We're going to make this happen. I think a related thing, and um, I think this also would have been useful in my own journey as I was packing that suitcase, is that at least I can speak within more within the Jewish community. There are actually a ton of scholarships and funding opportunities, which I have to imagine exist for the broader just world, the goodness of the world. And I didn't really do a lot of research about it, but there there are scholarships and there there is financial aid. Sometimes there are limits on what that aid looks like, and that is a whole other, we could spend a whole angry hour talking about insurance and financial aid and scholarships. But the, but I think, again, there there are sources of funding out there, and 
again, there are, whether you do that searching on your own, or you turn to someone again, like you or myself, or somebody who has that experience and that expertise, you know, like I know now what I didn't know before was like, here are a handful of organizations that do this work that, you know, you might want to check out to see if they might be able to offer some financial support. May not cover everything, because as we know, it's kind of an endless, can be an endless amount of money. But to, to just to, I think overall, it's like know what your options are. Know as much as you can, right? Understanding that you don't know when you go into it how long you will be in this process, how long you'll choose to be in this process or otherwise. But yeah, I think it was just not it was something i was thinking about but it was yeah kind of far down on the list of things that i was thinking about i would maybe move it up a little bit more agreed yeah and i really appreciate you bringing up the scholarship thing because i had no idea that that was even possible whether that's through a religious association like that or otherwise but i definitely if i had to do it over again i would definitely do more research and educate myself about other, maybe more non-traditional financial opportunities out there. So I really appreciate you bringing that up because maybe I hope that some of the listeners will go out and, and do that kind of research to find those those resources if they're available. Yeah, because I think there's, you know, there's people out there just as passionate and motivated as you and me to helping people in this journey. And it just takes a different shape and form, right? So the folks that do offer those scholarships like that's coming from a place of knowing how hard it is and wanting to make it just a little bit easier for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to transition a little bit. What do you envision or what do you hope for yourself through this passion that you found and through this business that you are creating around this community? What does that look like for you? Or what do you hope it looks like for you, say, in the next year? Well, I want to continue in a couple of different avenues. One, again, I, I'm I'm a rabbi, I'm an educator, I'm a teacher. So there's a lot of opportunities. I've been doing some work, again, mostly within the Jewish community, but hopefully branching out into other avenues, helping communities build supportive spaces. Um, I did a recent training for clergy to help those clergy think about how they can build congregations and communities that are supportive for their members who are going through a fertility journey. I also, that's fantastic. It was such a, a meaningful experience and to be able to invite people to share their own stories about we invited clergy people who had gone through their own fertility journey to talk about what had been helpful and supportive in their experience and what was maybe a little less helpful and just kind of thinking through some of the dynamics of it. I also think it, like in my hopes, I want to be able to provide support to staff, particularly in fertility clinics. I think it's a really hard thing that folks are doing right in the, I'm in the world of like in a caring profession and a lot of the work I do in the hospital is also caring for staff and the staff in a clinic themselves maybe going through their own experiences. And even if they aren't, I just want to help make space for them about the daily things that they're encountering. That's kind of one of the hopes. And then also to keep building this practice of supporting individuals and couples running groups and 
just trying to reach people where they are and letting them know that they're what I'm understanding is that there are a lot of folks out there in the world who are doing the work that I'm doing, which is okay. It's it's new for me, carving out a new space. Um, but I think there's a real there there. There are because, you know, I, I found that for myself. And as people started coming to me, I realized that there are folks who really do want that individual support. You know, maybe it's for a short period, maybe it's for a longer period of time, but uh, to be able to work more extensively with individuals and couples, that would be such a dream for me. Again, I just, I feel really, my life story and sort of narrative is around just pursuing justice and making the world a better place. And this is one avenue that I feel really called to to do that work in. And so, yeah, those are kind of my hopes and dreams. And so, if you know, if there's any folks that work for clinics out there that think they would be interested in connecting with me, I would really welcome that. Um, but just also for anyone out there who's just curious about what what work I do and how I can support them. It's kind of, yeah, I just, I, I feel really excited thinking about it. And I really appreciate that question. I often, in the work I do in the hospital, often ask folks, like, what are you hoping for? Uh, and it occurs to me that it's been a little while since someone asked me, you know, what am I hoping for in this work? And so hopefully that gives some voice to it. Yeah, it's something I feel like, especially as women, I actually just talked to a woman earlier today and I said, what do you want? What do you want your life to look like? What does that look like specifically for you? And she said, you know, I ask myself that fairly often, but I never have an answer. And so I think that happens a lot, even if you don't ask yourself that but it it's true. It's like, well, you have to you have to figure that out, whatever that looks like for you. And I think those hopes and dreams for you are just absolutely amazing. I really wanted to get your perspective because of how you answered that. My experience with my particular hospital, when I had made the decision that we were done trying to, you know, create a family biologic. I had asked if there were any support groups for infertility or women that had come to that same conclusion, whether through choice or circumstance. And the answer was no. And then I had asked, well, can I put something up on the bulletin board here in your office that would, you know, try to create one of those support groups because I'm really struggling, even though I was in traditional therapy and, you know, it's just different having someone to talk to that has actually been through what you've been through. And they, the answer there was that I wasn't allowed to because that goes against hospital PR policy. And so I'm just curious, you know, what your perspective is because you're an educator and because you're have experience working in medical facilities how do we how do we change that like how do we allow space for that kind of thing in the place that it's most needed yeah i've been wrestling with this question a lot as i'm kind of trying to building this work and trying to reach the people who i think could benefit the most from it and i'm you know still new in this journey but it's felt like a lot of resistant, which is surprising to me in a way, because it's like the work I do. I don't know if this is an exact comparison, but when I collaborate with all different kinds of clinicians in the hospital, 
And we may have different perspectives, but at the end of the day, hopefully, all we want is what's best for that patient and their family, right? We just care. We just want them to receive the best care that they can receive. And I kind of feel about this the same way, right? Like, again, I'm clear about what my lane is, but I can provide a kind of support that somebody else may not be trained to do or may not feel feel passionate about doing. So let's work together and not, you know, close doors where they don't need to be closed, especially if it's like, you know, it's hard because I can't really speak for an institution or a clinic, but if they're not offering something specific, what would it mean for them to consider welcoming in someone who could and partnering with them in some way? I don't know what that looks like, but just because I think otherwise people really are, and Charlie, maybe you had this experience, sounds like you did to some extent, then you're searching for it elsewhere, right? You're on social media trying to figure out who can I trust or like, you're just trying to find your people and wouldn't it be better if people didn't have to go through so much searching and Googling and just trying to figure out where there were people that were going through something similar? But we could say, you know, okay, we don't offer this resource here, but here's someone who does. And I guess, I guess I don't know if some spaces or communities and institutions feel like, well, if we promote one thing, then we're choosing to promote them over someone else. And I don't know how institutions make those decisions, but I don't know. There's a lot of wisdom out there in the world. And I just, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a camp kid. I'm just like, let's be all collaborative, right? Like that we're, we're all hopefully aiming for similar goals, which is to help people who are struggling through life and through whatever their circumstances are. Yeah, I mean, I'm picturing even just like a cork board or a bulletin board in the offices where, to your point about maybe it's against institution policy that they can't promote one over the other. Totally understand that, you know, but somebody asks permission, maybe let them put it up on the board and then you can have an array of services and maybe, you know, just let people Mm -hmm. find their own way to the person that can best help them. But I feel like that isn't a huge ask or shouldn't be a big ask, especially since even better than I do, how overworked and understaffed these places are. And so they don't always have the time, whether they want to or not. And they're not trained in support services necessarily either. Why not kind of shift some of that burden to people who are willing and are passionate about doing that? Yeah, I just, I'm like vigorously nodding. I feel like that makes so much sense, Charlie. And I'm really saddened to hear about your experience at the hospital. And it's just really, it just pains me. And I feel that tenderness as you're talking about it. Um, I just don't want people to go through that. And hopefully we'll keep working towards a place where there is more of that spirited collaboration or just opportunities, right? And bulletin boards or whatever that is, like, help people find the information. I mean, it's so funny because sometimes it's I'll talk to just organizations or somebody and they'll say, you know, nobody knows about us. Like nobody, like we're still struggling, struggling to get the word out. And it's there somehow we have both like an overwhelming amount of information that we're processing in a day. And yet still, we're not always getting to the people that need it the most. 
And I haven't really figured figured my way around that yet, but maybe that maybe that's part of the future hopes. I definitely have it on mine because I haven't figured it out either yet. <laughs> Good, so. we're <laughs> together. <laughs> we'll both try to workshop that one. Yeah, <laughs> I want to respect your time, and I, I know you have a little one at home, and um, I want to end on a, a positive note. So I always ask my guests this at the end of the show, and it doesn't have to relate to fertility or anything surrounding that. But if there was one thing that you could tell your eighteen-year-old self that would make the most impact to who you are now. What's the one piece of advice that you would tell that girl? Yeah, I would tell her so many things. I think the best thing that I would tell her, hopefully maybe she would listen, is to just be kinder and more compassionate to herself. I think as as humans, and I am definitely not exempt from this, we're so hard on ourselves. We're just punishing to ourselves. And I really wish that my 18-year-old self could breathe a little bit easier in her own skin and just feel, yeah, just able, better able to receive compassion and kindness, but just to have a stronger voice in herself that says, it's okay and you're doing great. You're doing great. And I love the caveat you gave before that because, yeah, I'm not sure even if I gave myself that advice that my 18-year-old self would have listened, but I would have, you know, (laughs) felt better for saying it. So, but I think that answer is perfect and universal and, you know, thank you for sharing that. If people want to find out more information about you, want to potentially work with you, what are the best ways to find Um, you? Thanks. Uh, My website? is rvtivf.com rvtivf is my instagram or i like to keep the theme rvtivf at gmail.com those are the best places to find me and again i really welcome you know maybe you're just curious about having a further conversation i really really welcome that and charlie i just so appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and to end that we've met and to know more about your story i just again stories are so sacred to me and i really cherish and honor what you're doing and just your experiences and i'm so grateful to know that there are people like you and you out there just trying to make the world a better place for someone else well thank you that really means a lot and i will reiterate that right back to you and i think that the work that you're doing and you had mentioned earlier that you know, there's not really, or you weren't able to find anyone else doing this. I think that resonated with me a lot because I feel the same way, but I feel like there's a reason then that there's no one else doing it and that you and I have a purpose to to fill that space and so that women or men, any any human being coming up behind us can can look what we did and say, well, let's continue that because it's still needed. So I want to validate what you're doing. And I want to reiterate that I'm very glad that we got connected. And I can't wait to see what, you know, what your practice does and, and the conversations that you spark. So thank you so much again for being a guest. Rachel Van Tyne, please go check her out. Thanks for listening. You're incredible. And I hope you enjoyed that episode. 
If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit that subscribe button because you don't want to miss next week's. And the other thing I want you to do after listening to this episode is this. Visit www.charliedice.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. Every week, I send you a short email that gives you actionable steps you can take to start feeling more like yourself again. You'll get things like stories from previous podcast guests, things they didn't share during the show, tips for navigating the workplace as a childless, child-free person, and conversation starters for family gatherings, and so much more. Check it out.